Welcome to The Soul Journey, where we will discuss the journey of people, authors, musicians, clergy, blue collar, white collar, and beyond, and find out what drives their journey. Proverb Newsom, the soldier starts right now. Hey, what's up? I'm Proverb Newsom. Welcome to The Sojourn. Hey, before we get started today and introduce our guest, I want to make sure to give a shout out and say what's up to all of our new listeners. Of course, you know we're based in the great sunshine state of Florida. That's home base for me and and the podcast and The Sojourn. But I want to welcome to our family uh, some listeners from Georgia, also New Hampshire, New York, California, Massachusetts, Illinois, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vermont, Colorado, Michigan, New Jersey. Jersey, Texas, Washington. Welcome. Welcome to the family. We love y'all. Y'all are fam. All right. Keep listening. Spread the word. We're having a great time here on The Soldier and having some really good conversations and dialogue about some very poignant, relevant topics and conversations. So thank you guys so much. I'm here today with my man, Keith Case. Keith is a pastor in the West Palm Beach area, Providencia Church, and also Presbyterian, right? Yes. ECO. Yes. Explain to me a little bit what that means. Well, the uh, the ECO came out of uh, the PCUSA about five years ago, and it's a denomination that really wants to be about planting new churches in being on mission. And so they have started, uh, you know, now it's probably like 15, 16 churches. We're one of the first ones here in West Palm Beach. But really, we exist, as we say, for the sake of our city of West Palm Beach. So we really want to be on mission, not a not a little uh, insular group, but a group that's really focused outward to the city and loving the city. That's awesome, because I always wondered what that meant. Yes, yes. <laughs> so thanks for explaining it, man. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about how you got into ministry in the first place. Like, did you always want to be a pastor? Did you always want to, you know... Um, kind of reconcile people to God. So when I grew up in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, my parents took me to a church when I was little uh, for a season. And then we went to another church because my sister, who's six years older, was in a youth group there. And then we stopped going to church altogether. So I didn't go to church for you know four or five years. And then a friend invited me to go to this summer camp. It was a Christian camp down in Pensacola, uh, or I'm sorry, in Panama City Beach, Florida. And that's where I heard the gospel the first time. And uh, I had one rule at the camp, which was don't bring fireworks. (laughs) And on the way there in Atlanta, Georgia, I set off fireworks in the parking lot. So I was supposed to be sent home, and it was the youth pastor's first day on the job. And when I got off the bus, the guy said, hey, you know what you deserve, which was a Greyhound ticket back home with a volunteer that my parents were going to pay for. Wow. And uh, instead, he said, you know, you're not going to get what you deserve. You're going to have a great week. And no, nobody had really ever treated me that way. But I would say that's the beginning of kind of cracking uh, the walls around my heart and opening me up to hear the gospel. And then just the group of Christians that were there, uh, coming from the South, Christianity had always been kind of a uh, good old boys, like you know, people with straight A's, people who are well-behaved. That's mm. what it meant to be a Christian to right. me. And I didn't really fit the mold. And these people didn't really fit that mold either. And they were Christians, though, and they, the way they loved me, embraced me, and brought me in, um, again, it just started opening me up more to hear this guy preaching at night um, to us. And he was talking about 
you know, Jesus hanging out with the outcast people who were the outsiders. And though I was a popular kid and I, I, I knew a lot of people, was good at sports, academics, um, you know, there was something in me that was um, I had great shame for and, mm. and, and guilt for and just things that had happened to me from when I was a little kid. Okay. And um, I just thought, man, there's, there's no way I can really be, you know, loved by a community if they know those things. They would, they would ostracize me just gotcha. like they did yeah. to many of the people um, that Jesus was friends with. So as I saw Jesus hanging out with those types of people, I said, man, maybe he would be interested in hanging out with a guy like me. <laughs> and, um, you know, things progressed, and, and I ended up surrendering my life to Christ, and it was a very tearful thing. You know, it was a really emotional thing. I just was like, man, there's a God. He's alive. He loves me. And at that very moment... I wanted to go and share the gospel with my enemies, mm. guys, guys who beat me up when I was in, you know, sixth grade. Yeah. Literally, I said, I want to go to Africa. And I think some of that had come from growing up being a kid of the 80s and seeing the commercials of Ethiopia, you know, during dinner time and, and uh, right. you know. Sally Struthers. Yeah, and parents telling you, you know, you got to— um, you got to eat all your food, and I just thought that was that was a place that had need. Right. Little did I know there's more Christians on the continent of Africa than in the U.S. But um, you know, I, I that's the first thing I thought, and I I knew I wanted to do what this camp had done for me for other people. That's cool, man. And something that yeah. interesting that you said there was relationship between you and the people at the camp. Yeah which made it possible for you to even hear the gospel. Yes. That's awesome because yeah. a lot of times, I mean, you know, the gospel operates in different ways, shapes, and forms. Yes. I mean, there's a person that just needs it and just is presented with an opportunity like out of the blue and accepts it. But more times than not, it comes through relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus had a relationship with people and yep. was able to draw them to himself. But then there was that one incident where he just said, hey, follow me. And they did, you know. Yep. So I think it's I think it's really neat that you you came to faith uh, through relationships at, at camp. So from that point on, when you were desiring to share the gospel and go to the continent of Africa, yeah. how did that propel you further into ministry? So I got involved in a Bible study when I got back home. Um, and then there was an organization called Young Life that was at my high school, and I didn't really go to the club. That was their outreach ministry. I went to their Bible study. Okay. And there was a bunch of older guys there that just started pouring into me, and uh, older women that were pouring into me as well, and really, you know, inviting me into, a, you know, really understand my faith and understand the Word of God. And and I got invited to go on a mission trip the next year to Jamaica. And when I was there, you know, working. Um, I felt like even more so God opened me up to um, other cultures, mm. you know. There was something so refreshing about being in Jamaica. Uh, I'd be working on these houses, and the guys I was working with, the laborers, you know, they just started asking me about my life and, and you know, what it was like back home. And it was, it was almost like they wanted – they cared more about me than they did about finishing the house. Mm. Yeah. And, and the culture I came from, I went to a very um, – you know, competitive high school called Macaulay High School, all boys private school. Uh, Ted Turner went there. You know, if that gives you any idea of kind of what the school was like, and you know, a lot of, a lot, a lot of smart guys there, and a lot of great athletes. Um, and but a lot of times you felt that you know accomplishments and performance was more important than people. Mm. So there's something so refreshing about Jamaica that I was like, man, I, I felt like I should have been born here. You know. <laughs> This was this is this was more home to me in some some capacity. So, 
after that, every summer I just started traveling, going, I went to Jamaica multiple times, uh, Belize, Mexico, um, the DR, Haiti, ended up after college going to uh, Malawi and Africa for, for a month in the summer. But I knew when I was in high school that um, that was part of what I wanted to be involved in is, uh, you know, multiple cultural, uh, you know, multicultural and um, international kind of places. But I also knew that I needed to understand the Word of God more and, mm-hmm. and in a way that I could teach it and share it to other people. So I ended up going to a college called Covenant College okay. and studied uh, biblical studies there. And I moved in after I graduated into the, you know, in my town they call the inner city, but the downtown, um, there was a street called Mitchell Avenue, and historically it was the most dangerous street um, in our city. And, you know, we experienced some of that, but at the same time, I felt for the first time I lived in a neighborhood. Okay. And uh, that was a whole wild deal for me that really set me on a trajectory where I was like, man, I want to live in a city for the rest of my life, like mm. in, a, in a downtown community um, because all the dynamics that are happening there. And it was just good for my heart. You mm-hmm. know, It was good for me um, to have my neighbors. I had, I had neighbors across the street that worked at the chicken factory. They would bring us frozen chicken. Nobody ever did that in my neighborhood where I grew up in the suburbs. Sure, um, sure. When we were decorating our houses for Christmas, my neighbor next door brings over Christmas lights because we're like poor, you know, mm-hmm. people, and they help us decorate our house. Another guy across the street, he um, invited me to his Memorial Day party the first day he met me. Wow. And the next, you know, next, that weekend I'm sitting in his house with all his family, and, and maybe, you know, three weeks later, uh, there was a little altercation on the street that, you know, some guys were trying to mess with me, and this guy came out and just busted it up and said, don't mess, he's with me kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I'd never experienced anything, that kind of French, that kind of, like, uh, loyalty, friendship so quickly Yeah. anywhere else I'd ever lived. Now, let, now let's look at that in yeah. comparison to your upbringing. So you yeah. grew up in the suburbs. Yes. And you said being in the city kind of like family, right? So a guy across the street invites you in, you're hanging out with his family. Contrast that for me to how you you grew up in the hometown you grew up in. Yeah, so I grew up on this little mountain. um, It's called Signal Mountain. You know, it's this, I think right now it's like in Tennessee, it's like the number one neighborhood for young families to move to. You know, everybody wants to live there. Okay. Um, But where I grew up, um, on the street that I grew up on, there was one kid that I played with, but... uh, you know, you didn't really mess with other people's yards. You didn't really, you know, everybody just kind of stayed to themselves. Gotcha. Nobody really came outside. Mm-hmm. Um, the individualism of American culture was very alive there. Mm-hmm. You know, you take care of your, your yard, I take care of my yard, and like we just leave each other alone and we won't get in each other's business. Um, and that was, that's kind of how things ran, you know. I mean, <laughs> I filled up my neighbor's uh, mailbox one time with rocks, okay. and he threatened to call the federal authorities <laughs> <laughs> because that's a federal offense. And uh, so that's the kind of stuff that we were, you know, you, you could have done that in the neighborhood I moved into downtown, and nobody would have batted an eye. They would have thought it was funny. But, they would have uh, thought it was funny, or they would have filled yours up the next day. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was totally different. And this, you know, people, people talking um, – you know, kind of being nice on the street if you did see people out on the street and kind of neighborly, but not inviting you into their house and into their family. Um, that was a whole other level that, that we yeah. experienced. So it's know. a difference between being civil mm-hmm. and being communal. 
Yes. And so in the city, when you got into the city, it was more communal than yes. civic. Yes. Awesome. Great. So, that's a great distinction. Yes. Thanks, man. Yeah. Just, I just came up with that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, so being, as you said, you know, having that experience of being communal yeah. in the city, yeah. uh, that you wanted to live in the city for the rest of your life. Yeah. And so let's fast forward a little bit to you being becoming a pastor, sharing yeah. your faith, yeah. uh, and then transitioning from wherever you were yeah. to a pretty much metropolitan area down here in South Florida. Yeah. Uh, how does that play into your ministry now? So, um, and this this is kind of a door to that whole thing, but when I was finishing up uh, school in 97, at, uh, or when I was in my schooling in 1997 at Covenant, I went down to uh, Miami and lived with this guy named Bill Iverson. Okay. And uh, he lived in Little Havana. Right next to the uh, Orange Bowl there, and That's the spot man, yeah, that spot. is the spot. So I, I got there with one of my good friends, and there was two guys for Virginia Tech who arrived too, and I'm sorry, Louisiana Tech. And we got there, and the first day we're sitting around this table, and um, he said, "Let's pray." So we start praying, and he asked one of the guys to pray from Louisiana Tech, and the guy says, "God." Thank you that your justice is more powerful than your mercy. Mm-hmm. Or no, I'm sorry, that your mercy is more powerful than your justice. And right then, it was like an explosion happened outside of this guy's house. Mm. And we all were grabbing hands, and everybody's eyes kind of squinted. And you just saw this light flash in. And, and Bill, he was probably like 75 at the time, gets up from the table, goes outside, and we follow him, you know, like sheepishly. And we get out there, and a lightning bolt had struck a tree in the corner of his house. Wow. There's no storm clouds or anything. We go back inside. We sit down. And uh, he goes, lesson number one, God's justice is just as powerful as his mercy. <laughs> so, so after that, the guy, anything the guy said, he was like the pope to us, you know. And so, um, but that guy, that night, we were walking in Little Havana. And we passed a 7-Eleven. He saw a family behind the dumpster there, and he invited them to his house. They were living with us that night, and we were going, hey, do we not get a vote in this? You know, like, we don't know these people. What are you doing here? And that guy was sharing the gospel everywhere he went. Mm. Until that time, as a Christian, as a young Christian, I had been scared of the city. Um, I still hadn't, I hadn't moved into the city. That, that happened later. Um, but it was overwhelming to me. I thought that's where the evil was. You know, that's where right. the bars were. That's where the bad stuff happened. And here's this old man, you know, 75, walking the streets, loving everybody, sharing the gospel. And he basically said to us all, the church has left the center city, mm. the evangelical church. And uh, we, have, we have neglected it. And we have to go back and reinvest and love the city. And he was the first man to show me that the Bible started with a garden, but it ends with a city. Mm, that's good. So when I, you know, that affected me moving into the city after I graduated from college, then I went to a church called New City Fellowship. That guy had been mentored, discipled by Bill. And it was when I was at that church that those elders put their hands on my shoulders and said, hey, it's time for you to go to seminary, you to go to grad school and study. So I went to Orlando, and then we went to my, we went back to Miami. Okay. And... Um, you know, South Florida, in many ways, just kind of paint the picture here. You know, we've been we've been in South Florida um, since 2006. Between Miami and here, we've been we're in Miami for seven years. We've been here for almost five years now in, in West Palm Beach, and they're very different. But uh, there's three global regions in the U.S. There's the Northeast, there's Southern California, and then there's South Florida, and we're like this sprawling metropolitan area here. Mm-hmm. In many ways, the culture of New York and LA have already been solidified. 
they are, you know, we're 100 years old here. New York is like four or 500 years old, and, and L.A. is like 100 years ahead of us. But we have so many waves of immigration coming into South Florida from sure. South America, yep. the Caribbean, that the culture is being created here right now. And so it's a really exciting time to be a pastor here, to be invested at the city center level, because in many ways we're a part of shaping the culture for the future. Yeah. So bringing about what you said, that whole difference between civility and community, mm-hmm. um, we really are trying to work on that community thing in West Palm Beach uh, particular because it is also a very transient place. True. It's so transient. And um, so at the neighborhood level, at the, the, the city government level, level at the um, industry level, we are trying to be a part of initiatives that help build community there so that people actually put roots here and stay here in our city. So that's, that's one of our, our hopes is that people will actually be rooted here in West Palm and help us shape the culture of the future of the city. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great place to live. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be a native, yes, so I don't see why anybody <laughs> would want to live anywhere else, yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. we get to live where people vacation yep. um, all the time, year-round, the weather's good. So, um, But I think it's great work that you're doing with your church, mm. um, especially in the area of uh, reconcili- reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've been doing a lot of work with uh, some churches in the area on mm-hmm. that. Uh, if you could speak to that a little bit and what you guys are doing. Yeah, when um, I, I was trained by uh, Tim Keller in New York City before we planted in Miami, and Tim is a uh, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church up in New York City. And uh, Tim Keller is dope. Yes, very, very, very influential man, and he's done a lot of great work. And one of the things I learned from him about church planning is a, a life lesson, but you never stop being a learner. You mm-hmm. never stop being a student. And probably one of the greatest dangers you can have if you've planted a church once, which we did in the financial district in Miami, is then when you come to a new city to plant a church, you can just do what you did before mm-hmm. and think it's going to work. Right. Um, but they said, don't do that. You know, like, you got to ask a whole new series of questions. So I was fortunate uh, enough because of First Presbyterian Church North Palm, who invited us to come here, that they had the wisdom to see, you know, hey, we need to give you a year and a half to kind of get your bearings here and, and become a student and ask questions. So I tried to visit a lot of the churches in the downtown area and um, ended up at Tabernacle and um, uh, Payne Chapel and a bunch of other churches in, in kind of the Tamarind community, more, you know, the historic uh, African-American communities and just trying to get to know those pastors and, and learn from them and ask questions. and. You know, one of the things that that I had heard and just trying to be sensitive to some of these issues is, you know, other churches maybe had been started or planted and and, and young people had left their churches and gone to those churches. Mm-hmm. So I just try to say, hey, I, I don't want to do that. You know, that's not what I'm here to do. Um, but just trying to navigate that whole thing was difficult because we do want to have a diverse church at Providencia. You know, we, we, we do want to have a, a church of diversity. Um, but it, it felt like that was a really sensitive issue. So for me, just praying through things and conversations, my hope was with some of those pastors is that in three or four or five years, we would be friends, mm-hmm. that we would be in each other's houses, that we would be eating you know, dinners, meals together, as our families would get to know each other. To me, that was uh, a hope of mine. And, and in that process, just learning more about the history here in our city and the racial division in West Palm. Right. Um, and also just seeing a lot of the work that's being done to build those bridges, you know, that, that's encouraging. 
but there's still a lot a lot of work to be done. Yeah, absolutely, man. And yeah. the the cool thing is, I mean, I, I know you've been in, involved in it. Yeah. There were a series of conversations that were had between your church yes. and uh, and Tabernacle yes. and, the, and the members of your church and the yes. members of their church. Yes. And Tabernacle is uh, probably the oldest African-American um, church in the city of West Palm Beach, yes, and uh, and your church is like brand new, yeah, we're brand like, new, pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty much all millennials. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you got like yeah. people that have read in history books about what people at Tabernacle have experienced yes. in history, yes, uh, and lived, yes. And so those are some pretty interesting conversations. I, I'm I'm sure I only got to sit in yeah. on one of them, yeah. But speak about that a little bit. Yeah, man. I'll just tell you one of the stories that really hit me. Um, because you're right, we're we're very young, you know, 25 to 35 year olds in Tabernacle. Man, they have some seasoned people that have been around, you know, and seen the city change so much. But um, you know, for a lot of our young people, Clematis is, uh, you know, that's a street that's popular, and you know, people go eat there and they hang out there, and it's just a fun street. It's mm-hmm. like a fun street in the city, and so a lot of a lot of the time at, at the conversation, we're we're listening to people who grew up during segregation and. Um, you know, people whose slavery wasn't that far removed exactly, from, yep. from them. And um, But I remember in particular this one lady sharing the story about Clematis. And when she was a young girl, she would go shopping there with her mom. And African-Americans here were not allowed uh, to try on clothes in the dressing rooms there. So the white customers would be able to go in, try on clothes, and, you know, what fit, what didn't fit, and, you know, make their purchases and leave. They would have to go buy clothes, take them home, try them on and then bring them back. And she just said she remember her mom uh, like hiding her in a broom closet and getting her to try stuff on real quick in the dark, you know? <laughs> wow. And wow. and then having to like, you know, just just the fear, yeah. you know? And um, I think that just that flipped the city upside down for a lot of our people that they went, "Man, like something that we think is so fun has so much pain." Mhm associated with so much pain for people in the past and you know there's other there's other development that's happened in our downtown that is too that's you know that's kind of the city celebrates oh this is a bright thing this is a great thing happening but for the african-american community um they've been pushed out of their houses they've they've paid a price for it yeah you know their community that community that we were talking about at the beginning um is is really many ways torn apart. Yeah. You know, the cool thing about what what you're saying is that on Clematis, right? Yeah. And, and I re, I've been, I'm a native, so yeah. I've been here for a long time. Uh, and I can remember my pastor when I was a kid telling me that he had a sit-in mm-hmm. at a Woolworth's lunch counter on Clematis. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wouldn't serve him. And then they finally had to, so they did. Mm-hmm. But afterwards, they broke the plates. Mm. They just broke them. They just like, all right, well, we've done our part, but wow. we're not using them again for the other customers. Mm. And you know, there's segregation all over the city uh, back when that was happening. Yeah. But uh, the cool thing about millennials and, and people like your church mm-hmm. is that um, I think they're probably more more inclined to empathy than anybody else. It, more so than Gen Xers. More so mm-hmm. than Gen Z. Just mm-hmm. they have the ability to have empathy mm. towards people that are marginalized. Yeah. And I don't think that, uh, I, I think that's a great attribute to have because yeah. I think the whole missing ingredient in our American society and culture right now, mm. especially the climate it's in right mm. now, is empathy. Mm. We, we don't have the ability to be empathetic towards somebody who 
is not like us. Mm. And so I, I, I got to give it up to the millennials because they, they have that ability. And, and to me, it's yeah. rare right yeah. now. Look at you affirming millennials. Man. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm not that far removed from them. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I can, yeah. I can definitely appreciate what I, what I see on that aspect. Yeah. So you've had those conversations with Tabernacle mm-hmm. and, and the people of Tabernacle and mm-hmm. uh, people that have experienced uh, segregation, racism firsthand, up mm-hmm. close and personal, heard stories. Mm-hmm. How has that impacted your church? Well, um, you know, I think one thing is just at a leadership level, uh, for me in particular, you know, I think if you're affecting the leader, you're you're affecting the church, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it just... It, like I said earlier, it flips the city upside down, and all of a sudden you you become more aware of the land that you're walking on, the story of the land. Yeah, you know, there's a guy uh, William Jennings. I think he's at uh, Duke or Yale, theologian, Christian guy, and he, he talks about how that we have become disconnected from place, and we are a majority white uh, church at this at this point. You know, we have diversity in our church. We want more diversity in our church, but. Um, that's one of the things about, you know, historically about the white uh, demographic is that they are more able to travel and move around. In fact, in Africa, they, the name, they call white people Mzungo in, in uh, Malawi, which okay. means traveler. Okay. And there's great things about that, but there's also a negative, which is a disconnection of place. And when you lose connection to your place, you lose a part of who you are. So part of... Our church's emphasis is really understanding the story of West Palm Beach and and digging deeper into that. Mm-hmm. And as we've dug deeper into the story of West Palm Beach and kind of seen, you know, how racial things have happened here in our city, you know, it happened everywhere in this country, but redlining and different things, um, you know, it it's it's begun to um, open people up more to see. The injustice that is not just I think a lot of times we talk about racism and nobody wants to be racist well at least you know most most people don't want to be racist it seems it's not <laughs> yeah. popular right right um, and and we have to wrestle with racism in our own lives but I think the systemic uh, racism is becoming more apparent to people mm. in our church and especially to our leaders that that is a reality that in many ways because because it's not been talked about it kind of stays in the shadows and you can't see it mm-hmm. unless you start digging into it right and we just did a training myself and one of our other uh, pastors we just did a training with the racial equity institute and that just was mind-blowing wow i mean it was it was so mind-blowing and um i mean there was a lot of tears in that room mm from people, I mean, on all sides. And and what's the craziest thing is is that you realize it's not just a white problem. Um, obviously, it's affected uh, African Americans and black people, but it's also that, that African Americans and black people have been, like, caught up in that process, too. And that it's not just an American problem, it's a global issue. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's... it's um, it's just it's infuriating it's it's um, overwhelming and yet i have uh i have some level of hope you know mm. and so and and i think there is like you said with the millennials they're just constantly trying to 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 reach and build bridges yeah 
and I get to sit yep. back as a Generation Xer and and, and kind of watch that and be a part of it. And um, you know, it's so good for my heart. Mm-hmm. It's healing for my heart. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so we're, but that's something that we are trying to work on as a church. We're literally going to every person in our church who is a part of a, a minority demographic and saying, "How has it been for you being in our church so far?" What's your experience been like? How do we make this more welcome? How do we make this uh, a space for all of the people of West Palm Beach, uh, not just for millennials? Yeah, yeah, you know? right. Uh, and more specifically, not just for white millennials. Yeah. You know, so that's something that we're wrestling with right now as a staff. Okay. As well. Well, I think it's great that you're you're investigating and you're asking questions and that uh, the people that are part of your, your church community are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the most underestimated thing that we can do as individuals is underestimate the art of forming a question. Mm. Because I think you, you can extract so much information from a person, mm-hmm. a situation, if you just ask the right thing at mm. the right time. Mm. And uh, that's how you found out about a, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how you find out about people, mm-hmm. uh, where they're from, what they like, what they don't like. Mm. Um, and I, I think that millennials definitely don't have any problem asking questions to anyone at any time. Which is why they're good bridge builders, you yeah. Know? Because yeah. they can ask a question and yeah. nobody's put off by it because, yeah. oh, they're young, so yeah. why wouldn't they know not to ask? Young you know? and curious, yeah, yeah, young and curious, and they're like, okay, well, uh, yeah, sure, I mean, I'll, let me answer that for you, and they do it, and uh, before you know it, there's a there's a conversation happening, mm-hmm. and I think um, outside of millennials, conversations, deep conversations, meaningful conversations. Mm-hmm like the ones we're having right now, mm-hmm. uh, especially about race and, and culture and, and church and theology and stuff like that, don't really happen because people are guarded when it mm-hmm. comes to those um, those topics. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they hold a set of beliefs strongly uh, that they don't want to exchange ideas mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, now recently, I know you went there because I was there too, uh, there was a uh, mayoral interfaith prayer breakfast Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that experience for you well you know it's an honor to be asked to be there Mm -hmm. um kevin jones who works for the city uh you know reached out to ask me to pray for the businesses here and um you know we it's interesting like in that space um and i would say even in the racial conversation space and even some of the stuff that we've been invited to are you familiar with peace Mm-mm. Um, no. Just some justice initiatives in okay. the city that, right. you know, there'll be incredible presence from the African-American churches and um, some of the Catholic churches. Okay. But there's no evangelical presence. and You're holding it down for all of them. Specifically <laughs> white evangelical presence, yeah. you know, and, and that's something that myself and one of the other pastors were talking about yesterday, um, along with Ryan Gladwin, who's a PBA professor, but... You know, it's just an interesting deal. Like, what, what, what has, what has kept that from happening? You know, and so that's that's one of the things that we're trying to lean into and understand and yeah. and, and rebuild those bridges. But, you know, more to the point with the interfaith service. You know, there's rabbis there and imams there, and we're just trying, like I said earlier, to listen and build bridges. Gotcha. Um, I obviously want. I'm a pastor, I believe, uh, in life through Jesus Christ and that he is um, the way, the truth, and the life. And I want everybody's life to come under his uh, lordship, you mm-hmm. know. 
And so I, I don't agree with, um, you know, a, other face on, on the issue of, like, who is Lord? You know, we disagree sure. on that issue. Right. But respect and love and building bridges, um, you know, that's a call that we have as Christians. And it feels like it's something that we've neglected. Mm-hmm. And it's so good for me. You know, I think I shared this with you earlier when we were talking today, Proverb, but it's so good for me to be around, um, you know, especially the Muslim faith um, because of what I have been fed so much through the media. Gotcha, yeah. To humanize those people, you know, that, that, that faith um, to me is really, really important and healing for my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Now I agree with you, man. I we are fed so much in in media, whether it's television, radio, whatever medium you choose. Yeah. Uh, stereotypes. Yeah. Be it you know white people are this way, black people are this way. Um, oh, he's he's black and he's on the scene, so you know ho- hold your stuff down. Mm. He's gonna debo you. Mm. You know, fratty reference. Mm. Um, tuck your chain. Um, <laughs> or he's he's white, so he's coming to cheat you or whatever. Mm. Mm. Or he's Muslim, so he must you know he's gonna blow some stuff up. Yeah. The quickest way to get rid of any of that stuff mm-hmm. is to build a bridge to those people. Mm-hmm. And as you like you said, uh, they take on a face of humanity, mm-hmm. and you get to exchange conversation mm-hmm. uh, with them, it humanizes them. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not a stereotype anymore. They're actually a person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it, it enriches you as a person. It enriches them as a person. It helps make, um, I think, culture better because there's a, a civility. Yes. There's an understanding. There's a cultural exchange. Yes. Um, it doesn't mean that you throw your faith to the wind mm-hmm. <laughs> and become whoever you're talking to. That's mm-hmm. not what it means at all. But no. they can properly understand your platform and mm-hmm. where you where you stand, and mm-hmm. you can properly understand their platform and where they stand. And of course, if their faith is different than yours, you'll disagree on that point. Mm-hmm. But you're human, so there's yes. there's gonna be some common ground somewhere. Yes, you know. Yep. And then if we win them in the end, praise God. Yep. If we don't, yeah then we have a, a relationship and a friendship that continues. Yes, that's yeah. right. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, man. Cool, man. So how, how can people find out about Providencia, Keith Case, uh, attend a service even if they want, if they're in the area? Yeah, we, we meet at uh, 1300 South Olive um, in downtown West Palm Beach. We're right behind the Norton Art Museum. We meet in uh, Red Brick Church there called Memorial Presbyterian Church. We're in their sanctuary at 5 p.m. every Sunday night. Um, and you can go to our website, www.providenciawpb.org, and, um, you know, look us up. And, we're, you know, you can email us on there and, and get more information about what we're doing at the church. Uh, and we'd love to have you come by and visit and, and even come to the conversations, you know, the, the racial conversations that we're having with Tabernacle. Uh, we have one coming up uh, the end of this month. I think it's um, it's on a Thursday night. I think it may be May 24th, whatever the... Mm-hmm. last Thursday of the month is. So um, that'll be a tabernacle. It'll be on your website though, right? Uh, yeah, it could be it be on our website or if you just email us about it, we can send you the information. Okay, what's your email so, address? Uh, mine is keith at providenciawpb.org. Okay, awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks for coming out to, you know, Thank have you, this man. conversation. And uh, I think, I hope, my prayer is that people will 
be benefited uh, about what they heard today and and just engage in those cultural conversations and be culture and be community, Mm -hmm. not just be civil. There's Mm -hmm. a time and a place for civility, but uh, I think community is definitely more needed now because Mm -hmm. it it cultivates a a culture of understanding other people. And so thanks for coming by and talking about that. Yeah. Thanks for your questions, man. Thanks for your curiosity. Yeah, no problem. That's what I do. Yeah. That's what I do. All right. So that's it for this episode of The Sojourn. Hey, make sure to follow us on Twitter at The Sojourn. It's at The Sojourn, just like it sounds. And uh, you can follow the conversation. You can actually even hit me up on uh, topics or guests that you want to see in the future. I'd love to hear from you. So so check us out at The Sojourn on Twitter. Okay. Until next time, I will see you. Remember, life's a journey. Enjoy the trip. That's a wrap for this episode of The Sojourn. Hopefully you learned something, were inspired, and motivated to begin a journey of your own. Please email me your comments, questions, or even suggestions for my next guest at proverb.newsome at gmail.com. Once again, that's proverb.newsome at gmail.com. This has been The Soldier. Remember, life is a journey. Enjoy the trip.